Well, you know, if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, Jeff, you know, hey, are you suffering through some issues, which I was, I would have said, no, I'm fine. That's the, that's the default answer for everything, right? A lot of people, I'm fine. Well, I've learned along the way that when most people say they're fine, they're not fine. You know, they're not fine. Um, and I wasn't fine. But I finally got to a point where I was like, I need some help. And the hardest step is that first step, right? Once you take that, I don't care if you're a cop or whatever, if you're suffering out there, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is, the hardest is to take that first step. And that's where I believe not only taking the first step, but having the right tribe around you, the right people around you. Welcome to episode 23 of People Are the Answer. I truly believe that people are the only answer to the world's many problems. I'm Jeffrey M. Zucker, a serial entrepreneur here to learn how innovators are creating outsized transformational social impact. Today's episode features Patrick Fitzgibbons, a retired police commander with over two decades of experience. He is also an author, coach, speaker, and professor. After a successful law enforcement career, Patrick continues to give back to the criminal justice profession via his podcast, CJ Evolution, and his work in first responders' mental health. He is a former Army paratrooper and an avid supporter of active military members and veterans. Patrick and I discussed his career in law enforcement and how things have changed lately, drug policy, mental health, and more. Here is Patrick Fitzgibbons on People Are the Answer. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me on People Are the Answer. Jeffrey, thank you. It's an honor to be here, brother. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you. And uh, maybe you could start off by just telling us where you're based and what your current role is. Well, I spent uh, 23 years in law enforcement. Uh, I retired from an agency in Colorado. Uh, and so I kind of milled around after I retired and kind of did some traveling, wrote a book for first responders. Uh, and then I started working for a company uh, a couple months ago called FHE Health. Uh, and I work in a program uh, that's specifically designed for first responders. And Jeff, when I talk about first responders, I'm talking about like fire, EMS, paramedics, not just cops, but cops are included. And so I'm a national outreach liaison, so I try to connect first responders who are suffering with mental health issues or addiction or both uh, to the services they need. And I am currently in Phoenix, Arizona. I relocated from Colorado, and I, I love the weather here. I, I just need to survive a summer here. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Appreciate you sharing. You know, I'm not – I mentioned to you before we started recording that yeah. a lot of the guests have either been thus far – close friends or friends of friends. Um, but we, we met sort of online and, yeah, yeah. uh, so I think that could be interesting, you know, to, to get to know you better a little here, sure. bit here in front of the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks again. Yeah. And, uh, I'm based in Denver, so. Nice. Um, and I, I missed just moved from Denver. Yes. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I missed you, but glad we're connecting here. <laughs> nice. So in general, what would you say motivates you? Uh, right now, um, it, it, what motivates me is the possibility of getting up and changing somebody's life for the better, uh, specifically helping somebody that needs help. Uh, that, that's what motivates me. That's what 
uh, gets me up in the morning, Jeff. You know, I went through a pretty tough time in my life not too long ago, depression, isolation, some other stuff. And what really helped me was, you know, not only reaching out, but people who helped me, you know, and, and provided me resources, meaning places that I could go for treatment and stuff like that. And so now I want to reciprocate. I want to give back. And that really motivates me uh, in the morning to get up and just try to help uh, people and not just first responders, but people in general uh, to the best of my ability. That's what motivates me. I really appreciate that. Um, helping others is an amazing way to spend your life. So it's glad, glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So you lived in Colorado for a while. Is that where you're from originally or where did you grow up? You know, I grew up mostly in, in Colorado. I was a military brat. I moved around a lot when I was really, really young. My dad was a, a lawyer in the army. And so we, we moved around, lived over in Europe uh, for a while. I came to Colorado probably when I was about 10 or 11 and spent most of my life uh, in Colorado. My dad got stationed. You probably know Jeff. The, I don't know. Maybe you do. Uh, Fitzsimmons uh, Army Medical Center used to be over in Aurora. Uh, he was mm -hmm. stationed there as a JAG officer. And I pretty much stayed in Colorado my entire life with the exception of me being I was in the military. I was in the Army. I was down at, uh, in North Carolina for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in Colorado and then spent uh, a law enforcement career uh, in Colorado between two agencies. Got it. Very nice. Well, I'm sure sure the state misses you. You mentioned being in North Carolina. I'm curious, was that at Fort Bragg? That was at Fort Bragg. I was with yeah. uh, the 82nd Airborne Division uh, down at Fort Bragg uh, a long, long time ago, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. <laughs> Nice. Uh, I'm sure that was interesting and thrilling. I uh, I knew the name Fort Bragg. Having I grew up in South Carolina in Charleston. Oh, there you go. Um, lived in Denver for about uh, six years now, and um, I actually there was an ice rink on that site, and I actually had a hockey game or maybe it was a tournament there as a kid. Yeah, I love the Carolinas. I mean, uh, I I always said if there was one place that I would move to, of course, I'm relocated to Arizona, but. Yeah, uh, I, I love North Carolina. I love both the, the Carolinas, but um, I really liked it when I was there. I didn't see a lot of it when I was there, but what I saw, um, I loved. And I remember, you know, when my, my ex-wife and I were, you know, down there and I was stationed at Fort Bragg, we used to go down to Wilmington and Kerr Beach and mm -hmm. all those cool places in North Carolina. Great place. Very, very good yeah. people down there. So that, that's a good segue into just kind of getting into your career a little further. Yeah. Um, so you started off in the army, um, yeah. you said 82nd airborne. Yes. And you know, what was sort of, obviously it's a really intense experience that, um, you dedicated a, a really important part of your life to it. What looking back are your sort of key takeaways from your time in the military? Well, I mean, I, for me, like most military members, and I'm just speaking for me, um, I, I learned a lot of self-discipline. Uh, I learned things like chain of command and rank structure and things like that. Um, learning to overcome what seemed to be insurmountable odds sometimes, you know, pushing yourself further, meaning physically and mentally. So, uh, but I, I learned, you know, all the discipline, self-control. Uh, and I came from a military family. Like I mentioned, my, my father was in the military and I didn't go until the army, uh, Jeffrey, until I was 21. So I was an old guy, you know, I wasn't right out of high school. Like, uh, like the younger guys. But um, yeah, I mean, there were so many takeaways, but I would say discipline, motivation, you know, pushing yourself um, to, to, to higher heights and higher limits mentally, physically, uh, leadership uh, ability. 
So I learned all that, and that was, I think, a little bit easy to transfer those skills that I learned and those traits into a law enforcement career. And law enforcement is is paramilitary. If you're familiar, your listeners are familiar with the, the term. I mean, they have rank, you know, structure and chain of command and stuff like that. So, and I come from a law enforcement family too. So I have a lot of relatives that were Chicago police officers and it was in my blood. So that was my natural progression. I knew I wanted to continue to serve uh, this in this time, my a community, my community. And um, so I, I just gravitated towards that. It was a good fit. And how long were you, uh, you in the police or were you a police officer? I was uh, a police officer for about 23 years. Uh, I started out on patrol, you know, as a patrol officer, like where everybody starts. Uh, I was a detective. I was a SWAT guy for a while. I was a street supervisor. Uh, and then I retired as an operations commander, which is I was in charge of all the patrol operations and patrol officers on the street. Um, and then in 2019, I said, you know, I want to do something else. Got a little burned out. I, I admit it, you know, with law enforcement. Uh, and so I got out and uh, I have a podcast, uh, as you know. So I worked on that. I actually started that when I was still in the job in law enforcement. But I wanted to work more on that and focus that. Uh, I'm also a uh, adjunct college professor. Um, you, you know the area, uh, Jeffrey, you know, down at CU Denver and, and Metro State and things like that. So I've been doing that for a while. So I wanted to continue on, you know, kind of serving and teaching and things like that, which I absolutely love. Um, and then, like I said, I went through a, a bad period in my life, um, which brought me down to, you know, uh, Florida for treatment. And then I subsequently started working for the company I mentioned. Uh, so, uh, yeah, everything comes full circle, man. But uh, I had a great career, ups and downs, just like any other career. It sounds like you got to try a little bit of everything in terms yeah. of the types of jobs and you must have learned quite a bit getting to see things from different perspectives. Absolutely. You know, everybody has a different uh, story. Everybody has a different background, obviously. Um, the one thing I learned, too, in law enforcement is, you know, it took me a while, but, you know, everybody's carrying something. Everybody has their baggage. Everybody's going through their own problems. And so I really learned that more as, as I grew in law enforcement that, you know, the, the person, you know, it's just never knows the, the person who cuts you off in traffic. You don't know what they're going through. Yeah. You're, you get mad or pissed, but you know, they could be going, they're probably going through something. So we just got to be nicer to each other. And I know that's tough sometimes, but uh, you never know what people are going through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, you know, you left law enforcement in 2019. I feel like it probably has changed a decent amount <laughs> since then, given everything that's happened in our world. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on the recent sort of shift in both society and kind of the, some of the pressures um, on the people in that position and just really how things have shaken out lately? Well, you know, I, I, I always tell people, and this is just my, my view, I think, you know, a lot of people support, majority of people support law enforcement. Are there bad cops? Yes, they're bad cops, just like they're bad pilots and drivers and everything else. Uh, law enforcement continues to evolve. It continues to change. I think we need to change. We need to do some reform. Um, and law enforcement's resilient. You know, we're, we're, we'll come back. The one thing that concerns me now with, with law enforcement in particular is we're not seeing the amount of people getting into the field like we were, you know, when I was a young cop. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But um, thankfully, people still are. But I think overall, you know, I mean, change is good, Jeff. I mean, you're either going to change, you're either going to go with change or go kicking and screaming because it's going to happen. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all the criticism against law enforcement out there. 
But I, I do believe that the majority of, of people, a majority of Americans support law enforcement. They're just not as vocal uh, right. as they used to be just for a variety of reasons. But, you know, it's an honorable profession. And thank God people are still, you know, signing up for it and serving because it is a good job. You know, it's yeah. a lot of pressure. Things have, you mentioned change. Things have changed tremendously since I've been on the job. Uh, but I think we need to, as law enforcement, you know, we need to do a better job at, you know, making those connections and those inroads in the communities that we really need to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned it being harder to recruit these days. I've mm -hmm. found that to be the case in a variety of scrutinized jobs. Like you even hear sure. about youth sports being harder to get refs because people are harder and harder on them. You know, the country seems to be angry since COVID. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine the difficulty in getting people to work there. And I, uh, you know, I hope that we're able to continue to get good people uh, in those jobs. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah, it's not just law enforcement, like you mentioned, Jeff, you made a real good point. I mean, it's a lot of different industries that it's t like restaurant workers. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's a shortage for, you know, people, you know, working in restaurants and other service industries, but now in law enforcement, uh, some departments, a lot of departments are offering like an incentive, a sign-on bonus mm. to, to get people to, to join. But if you're a young officer, I mean, I get where they're coming from. If you're a young officer and you, and you, or if you're a person, a young person considering a career in law enforcement, uh, and I, I'm not, this is not a lock on law enforcement. Why would you? So you really have, I mean, you look at the news and you see getting cops getting shot at all the time and all this other stuff. Um, so it is a very tough job and you're not going to get rich off of it. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to make a ton of money, but you don't get into it for the money. You get into it because you're passionate about making a difference and helping your community. And like I said, you know, I'm glad that young men and women still want to become officers because it is a good job. I, I was recently involved in a project that was a partnership between MIT and uh, Stand, Stand Together Ventures Labs called Unbundle Policing. And it was basically uh -huh. a startup incubator for whether businesses or nonprofits that are aiming to help policing be unbundled. Not, it's not defund the police. It's are there areas that we can, that companies or technologies or nonprofits can help in that allow the police to better do their job or to do mm -hmm. the, prefer to focus on the things that they're good at. And um, I saw just an incredible number of innovations, whether it be um, software to help assess situations faster and easier and to send the right people to the right places or, you know, whether it was a mechanical device, it's just really, really interesting yeah. stuff. And I'm curious what you think in general about the concept of the police being able to focus more on crime and less on, you know, things that might, that maybe isn't their expertise, like mental health, or just maybe things that aren't worth their time, like potentially um, traffic incidents. You know, I, I love that idea and I'm all for it. Um, I love the idea of, first of all, you know, technology, because when I was a young, and I'll get to the other part, when I was a young officer, we didn't have the technology we obviously have now. So things like predictive analysis and crime patterns and using numbers to, to crunch, you know, data to determine where, where we're going to put resources as far as, you know, where the crime spikes are, are all great things. I mean, the technology that we have now is amazing. You know, the patrol, the modern day patrol car is basically just a driving computer. Uh, yeah. So you can fingerprint people in the car. You can do all kinds of stuff. Not in every agency, but most agencies. Now, the second part of that is I believe that, you know, law enforcement, you know, we're kind of a jack of all trades. I mean, when I first got into law enforcement, 
and a lot of it's dependent on where you're at geographically as a police officer, but we weren't going to a lot of calls where people were in mental crisis, you know, mental health crisis. Now it's like every day. Now, there has been a, a trend that's happening within the law enforcement field where, you know, a lot of agencies have adopted uh, co-responders, like people who are in the mental health field, civilians that have the, you know, the clinical background to, to travel with law enforcement uh, and do that. You know, I'm all for that. But then again, if something, you know what, hits the fan, then we have to protect, you know, a clinician, which is our job. But I tend to, to kind of, you know, ride the fence with this. I mean, I know you have to take, take a side, but I mean, that's part of our job. The reality is, is that we're, we're going on more and more mental health calls. A lot of officers are trained in, you know, uh, they call it CIT, crisis intervention and, and stuff like that. But the flip side is that we're not clinicians, you know, we're not the experts. But I do, you know, it, it's all dependent on where you're at, Jeff. I mean, so you might have some agencies that are focused more on crime because every department's different. Then you you might have uh, agencies that are more focused on the, you know, the clinician approach where people you know respond with clinicians. You know, the reality is is that this is the world we're in, and law enforcement kind of is gets the the brunt. I mean, they, everything kind of gets filtered down with law enforcement because we're the front line. You know, so we're the we're the you know the people that are going to you know respond to that nine one one call. But um, yeah, I mean, I believe in crime uh, enforcement. I mean, that is a central focus of law enforcement. But I also believe as society changes and society adapts and the needs and wants of society change, and we have to be able to adapt to that. Um, yeah. And resiliency is a core part of, of law enforcement, you know, but that's, that's just where we're at now. Um, and any, any tool we can use to kind of mitigate a situation or diffuse a situation, if that means a co-responder, mental health professional, I'm all for it. But then, you know, the flip side is that I'm also, um, you know, I believe in, you know, crime control and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, the key is to, to, to be well-rounded and use the, the resources available to, to, you know, law enforcement professionals. And how do you think the resource, you know, usage has been in recent history? I'm just curious. Well, well, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, there's like many industries, there's never enough money. Right. You know, law enforcement gets a budget. You know, I remember dealing with budget issues. I mean, we get a budget and there's only so much, you know, so much to go around, because if you're working for a municipality, it's not just the police department, it's the fire department. They, everybody has, you know, different, you know, their own allotted budgets. Um, so that's always uh, going to be an issue. The thing is, is that doing the best you can with the resources you have. I do think that as time goes on, you know, I mean, it gets better a little bit, but again, it's dependent on where you're at, Jeff. So LAPD yeah. probably has more resources than Denver PD, just by the yeah. sheer size of, you know, LA and in, in their budget. I do think it, it's gone better, but a lot of this is political too. So right. if you have an agency, if you have a community that, you know, you mentioned defund, you know, earlier, you know, doesn't believe in pushing a lot of resources to, to law enforcement, then you're going to get what you asked for. And then crime yeah. is going to spike. And this is happening now in some areas where, you know, there was a push to kind of limit resources or defund whatever word we want to use uh, law enforcement. And now what's happening, crime is spiking. So they have to hire right. more cops. So a yeah. lot of it is depend on, you know, geography, where you're at in the country. 
Uh, some departments, again, have more resources than others, but usually that's up to the city councils and, and the municipalities to determine what kind of budget the police departments are going to have and what resources are going to be available to them. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I probably have a couple more, more questions related to your law enforcement no, background. Well, let's, let's come back to a couple of them because mm-hmm. uh, I do, I am curious a little bit about your, your current endeavors. Um, mm-hmm. You're a professor, you have a podcast, you talked about FHE Health. Um, where do you want to get started? Well, let's talk about FHE Health. So I, um, you know, I went through a dark period uh, a while ago in my life, depression, isolation, suicidal ideation. Um, you know, as law enforcement, as first responders, you know, people are, we're just not designed to see trauma daily you know, we're, we're just not built that way. Nobody, whether you're law enforcement or not, you know, regular person, the average person sees about, you know, a handful of trauma related incidents in their life, death of a family, car crash, whatever, divorce, law enforcement, first responders, dispatchers, fire. I mean, they see that on a daily basis. So eventually it's going to get to you. So it got to me that, you know, ended me up in treatment. I reached out ended me, uh, I landed in treatment at a place called Florida House Experience, FHE. Uh, and a program specifically designed for first responders called Shatterproof. I'm glad you got the help you needed and went into the yeah. program. I appreciate it. But when I was there, I was there for about a month. And it's designed for about a month because, and that's done for a reason. Usually it takes a while for things to sink in, you know, treatment and things like that. Um, and that's why, you know, you're there or a patient is there for about a month. But when I was there, I was like, you know, I really, I'm retired and, you know, don't have much going on. <clears throat> and I said, you know, after I'm done, I really want to, you know, I'm, you know, I started talking to people uh, and I really wanted to work for, for the organization, you know, that I was in treatment at. And so long story short, I'm, I'm here now and I'm in a national outreach liaison, one of them uh, for FHE and Shatterproof for first responders. So my job now is to connect, um, you know, local law enforcement, wherever I'm at, law enforcement agencies really around the country to the resources available uh, to them and their people uh, with Shatterproof and FHE. And the one thing I like about this treatment facility is it's just not a traditional treatment facility. Uh, it, yeah, we have group counseling and stuff like that, but it takes a little more of a holistic approach, uh, you know, breath work, yoga, music therapy, along with some cutting edge, uh, you know, mental health treatment, uh, if you're familiar with EMDR, RRT, neurostimulation, where they actually map your brain and they focus on areas uh, that uh, the brain uh, might be deficient in, like depression or isolation. So I, I love what I do because it gives me a chance to, to help first responders that are suffering. You know, Jeff, an average of 38, 39% of first responders out there are, are suffering right now. And that's the number we know about. Uh, 39, 38, 39% are suffering from mental health issues, addiction, or both. And so it's a huge problem within the first responder community. The problem with first responders, and I can speak for myself because I was there, is we don't like asking for help. You know, we have that ego and hubris. And you're used to being the ones that do the help. Yeah, exactly. So it's very hard for first responders to reach out and ask for help. Now, the one thing that makes Shatterproof unique is, is that 75, 80% of the people down there, clinicians, staff, are former first responders. They went through treatment. So that brings a lot of credibility to the program because you have somebody that's in front of you who might be a counselor, who used to be a cop or a fireman or a paramedic, 
and they understand you because they can understand where you're we're coming from. You know, law enforcement first responders are a community within a community, and you can't treat first responders, you know, as far as treatment goes, the same way you would treat, you know, a person that's never been in the first responder community because they're unique. Not that we're better, but we have unique needs, um, you know, that we have to talk about and get out because of the things we see and the things we experience. Right. So, yeah, I'm just proud to be part of FHE and Shatterproof. Uh, and again, I love what I do, love helping people. You mentioned my show. I've had my podcast, CJ Evolution, for about seven years now. Um, Congrats. It's a, it's a passion of mine. I got about 460 episodes. And um, it's I've just been blessed, Jeff. I mean, I got a lot of people that reach out to me, want to come on the show now. Uh, and again, it's been a <clears throat> it's been a great ride. You're a podcaster, you know. Uh, it's once it gets in your blood, man, it's I, I just love doing it. I love talking to yeah. people. I love uh, interviewing people because I learn all the time. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, love what I'm doing now and I'm happy. Not that I wasn't happy before, but <clears throat> I'm really doing what I love now. Yeah. It sounds like you, you found a new path that maybe was unexpected initially. And uh, yeah. Funny how life great. turns out, brother. Right. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and are you still a, a professor as well? You know, I, I've kind of taken a, a backseat to that. I, I uh, taught at uh, CU Denver and Metro and CCD, uh, Ames Community College, if you're familiar with uh, that. Mm -hmm. But I, I've been teaching at the higher level for about 12, 13 years. Uh, but now with my new role in podcasting and obviously being at a different state, uh, I'm not, not teaching uh, right. at the moment. Got it. But I love uh, teaching. You know, I love teaching the next generation of criminal justice professionals and they learn from me, I learn from them. And it's always been a passion of mine. And like I said, I've been doing it for a long time. What are the types of classes that you've taught in criminal justice? You know, I teach like uh, constitutional law and substantive uh, criminal law and um, cr crime, uh, criminalistics, crime scene investigation, intro to policing. So I really run the gamut of um, things that I've taught over the years. Uh, and again, I'm not an expert, but I've just, yeah. you know, I have the experience, but, uh, I just try to impart, you know, the things that I've learned over the years, uh, from a, from a long law enforcement career. But I really can, you know, I really teach, I don't teach like math classes cause I suck right. at math, but I teach a lot of different criminal justice, you know, uh, topics when needed. Yeah. Awesome. Um, FHE Health sounds awesome, what you guys do, the people that yeah. you help, these first responders that mm -hmm. are in need. Um, can you speak any further to sort of the personalized treatment that you guys give? I mean, you talked about first responders and everything, uh, and that is a very unique perspective. But um, I just had in my notes here that it's, you know, personalized treatment. I was just curious if you had anything more to add. Well, everybody's treatment's going to be different. You know, so when somebody's because people are different and they require different needs. So uh, when when people get down there, a uh, patient like when I went through, I'll use me as an example. So when I went through treatment, you know, you're in intake. And the one thing about Shatterproof and FHE is they don't treat you like uh, a patient. I mean, you are a patient, but they don't you're not treated like a patient. You know, you're treated with dignity and respect. You're not running around in some hospital gown. You know, like one through over the cuckoo's nest and stuff with schmocks on and stuff. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's how some facilities are. Yeah. So you're treated with dignity and respect. Now, different needs. I was down there for, for mental health. 
you know, mental health. I wasn't down there for addiction issues. So say somebody goes down there for alcoholism or a drug issue or maybe, you know, which is all tied into mental health, you know, treatments are going to be tailored toward that individual. But me, I was down there for mental health, like I mentioned before. So get the intake, do an assessment, evaluation, talk to a psychiatrist. There is medication involved sometimes, depending on the individual. And then, you know, I'm in intake for a while, maybe two or three days, because that was still COVID was pretty prevalent. And so they want to make sure that you're clear of COVID. And then I go across the street to the campus, which is beautiful, pool, you know, all, I mean, it's down in Florida, Jeff. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm housed with other first responders because <clears throat> they, they keep the first responders separate. Again, not because we're better, but they want to keep the first responders separate from the general population. And then again, treatment is going to be designed towards the individual. So I went through, I mentioned uh, neurostimulation. And that is an amazing process where, I mean, it's cutting end technology where they, they re- literally map your brain. They put little probes. It's not electroshock therapy. If people are thinking it's not that they put little probes on your head and they literally kind of map where all the problem areas are neuro neuroscientists, you know, people that are experts in, you know, brain health and, you know, neuro stuff. They look at your brain and they can say, all right, well, Pat is suffering from depression, uh, you know, PTSD. Now we're going to focus on those areas. And the neurostimulation is basically little microamps of, you know, stimulation in your brain, different parts of your brain that kind of rebuilds, helps repair those neurons. And really it is, I mean, after about three or four sessions, I, I could feel the difference coupled with, you know, the yoga and the music therapy and the breath work and other things that they do. But um, there really isn't like a cookie cutter approach with most facilities where you're in a group and everybody's talking about the same thing. Everybody, you know, down at FHE and Shatterproof has their own tailored, you know, uh, treatment plan specific to them. Got it. And that's the beautiful thing down there, I think, because they, they, it's, it's such cutting edge stuff, cutting edge treatments but it's all tailored towards the individual. Got it. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing some incredible work. And it's needed, Jeff. I mean, like I said, I mean, that it is so needed uh, out there. Law enforcement, the first rec- responder communities are, are tough people yeah. uh, to yeah. work with. Uh, they're amazing people, but they are, they're very reluctant to, to come forward. And for obvious reasons, you know, imagine if you're, a, if you're an airline pilot, Jeff and and I'm your co-pilot. You're the you're the main guy, and you come to me and say, "Look, I'm having some problems." I want to be like, "Well, crap! I don't want to fly with Jeff." Right? Might crash the plane. Same with law enforcement. If I come to you, we're both cops, and I say, "Jeff, I'm really going through some hard time." Not that you would do it, but a lot of cops would. Well, I I don't want to I don't want to work with that anymore. I don't know if he's going to get my back or. So that's the stigma, you know, with not only law enforcement with a lot of industries. Now, the good thing about law enforcement is we've had made strides, you know, with, with awareness and, uh, you know, law enforcement leaders recognizing that we have a huge problem within law enforcement when it comes to mental uh, health and wellness, but there's still a long way to go. Absolutely. And I really appreciate that you talk about your own mental health, that you're out there and showing people that it is okay to get help when you need it and to show other first yeah. responders that. Well, you know, if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, Jeff, you know, Hey, are you suffering through some issues? Which I was, I would have said, no, I'm fine. 
That's the that's the default answer for everything, right? A lot of people, I'm fine. Yeah. Well, I've learned along the way that when most people say they're fine, they're not fine. You know, they're not fine. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't fine. But I finally got to a point where I was like, I need some help. And the hardest step is that first step, right? Once you take that, I don't care if you're a cop or whatever, if you're suffering out there, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. The hardest is to take that first step. And that's where I believe not only taking the first step, but having the right tribe around you, the right people around you that are encouraging you. And thankfully I had the right people, family, close friends that were saying, you need some help. We're going to be here for you. We're going to support you. And that's another thing about the program down in Florida. Shatterproof is even after you're done with treatment, brother, it doesn't stop there. You know, they gave me the foundation, you know, to, to, to go forward after I left treatment. And there's an alumni network all over the country. There's additional resources even after you leave the program. Uh, So it doesn't stop after treatment, at least in my opinion. It keeps going. You have to start, keep taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, given our talk on on mental health and some of the Mm -hmm. things that you've dealt with, as well as your background in law enforcement, you know, I'm curious where you stand on drug policy. Uh, As myself, I'm a huge drug policy advocate, have been uh, a board member at the Marijuana Policy Project since 2017, and uh, have been fighting to end the war on drugs and a lot of the injustices that have surrounded it. And, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much anytime I talk to someone in law enforcement, I'm, I'm interested in, in their perspective. Are, are you now are you talking about like marijuana or, or just marijuana or what? I mean, so yeah, I'm on the, the board at, at MPP, but, and I am a big cannabis legalization advocate. But just in general, um, I feel that there've been a lot of injustices around the war on drugs, you know, Mm -hmm. people going to jail for things that might be mental health issues where, you know, instead of getting mental health treatment, they're getting thrown in a cage, basically. And I think, you know, some of that's been enforced differently by race and, uh, and other things. So I just, it's something that we're all fighting to end in my sort of circle and, um, you know, law enforcement has varying, they, they've seen different perspectives on it. They have varying perspectives yep. on it. And I know fighting for legalization, law enforcement's often our most difficult opponent. Um, generally, once legalization occurs, whether it's medical or full adult use, law enforcement is fine with it. Um, but they're very often our biggest opponents. Yeah, and I can see the the reason why, you know, when it comes to marijuana, you know, I've never, Jeff, I mean, I did what they told me to do when I was a cop. I never really cared about marijuana. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I, you know, law enforcement, as you or marijuana, as you know, can sometimes be a gateway drug and all that. I get that. But I mean, I I'm going to just interject briefly, just uh, statistics show that it's not a gateway drug. Oh, I, oh. I have to interject. I stand corrected. And no, I, I, I spent I, the week lobbying yeah, for medical you're the expert. in South Carolina. Yeah. So I, you know, the opponents but, say that a lot, but I, I can, I can cite you the, the resources, but, 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 I, never, but yeah. I never cared about marijuana. I mean, I yeah. would much rather focus on like fentanyl and, and you know, yeah. harder stuff, heroin and stuff like that. Yeah. Those are the real issues. And you live stuff in Colorado. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You live in Colorado. I mean, we were the first state to legalized marijuana and being a law enforcement we didn't see some big huge spike in crime right we saw we still see more problems with alcohol in this country than we do with (laughs) marijuana i've never gone to a fight i've never gone to a bar fight or a house 
fight or whatever, or domestic, where people were just high on marijuana. Can it, can it happen? Absolutely. But most of the time, they add other stuff on board. Meth, you know, cocaine, things like that. So I'm all for, and I think there's a bill, I think they're talking about legalizing it on the national level now. Yeah, there are actually a few bills in play. The, the Moore Act was uh, passed in the House last week. It, it is unlikely to have a good chance in the Senate, unfortunately, but there are a handful of, of solid bills yeah. that we're working on. And, um, you know, meanwhile, we're trying to make sure at least medical patients have access where they need it yeah. in places like South Carolina, where, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get this bill passed this year. Yeah, and I, I, I never, like I said, Jeff, I've never had a, a problem with, with marijuana. Now, if we talk other stuff, I might have an issue with legalizing heroin and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, cause yeah, I mean, I, that, I don't know. Uh, that, that could be, that's a conversation for another day. Cause it's a long yeah, yeah. one. And I think there's a million different angles on it, Yeah, but I think criminalizing drug addiction is a problem. No, I agree country. with that. I agree with that. I think, you know, we, we definitely, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir, you know, that, yeah. We need to spend more time, more resources treating the addiction, you know, than just throwing people in prison. Because what you know, the recidivism rates are through the roof. You might get treated when you're in jail or prison, but what happens when you get out? Well, you right. a lot of times people fall right back into that behavior, yeah. and and it's just a, you know a revolving door. So I also agree with you. I, I think if you look at some of these people that are incarcerated for whatever drug offense, do they really need to be in prison right. for 30 or 40 years? Unless there's right. another underlying crime like murder or something like sure, that. Of course. Yeah. But if it's just, if it's just drug offense, well, maybe they would benefit. Maybe we could spend more time and effort, you know, preparing them to, to get out right. and maybe not putting them, throwing away the key for 30 years. I'm a yeah, big I, advocate too of really quick of, of reentry programs. Meaning yeah. when people, when people get out of prison, as you know, and your listeners know, Okay, what are we doing to prepare people to to get out? You know, are we are we? And I know it's difficult. You know, it's always a money thing. Yeah. You know, but reentry programs. I think we need to focus more on those too. I agree a hundred percent. I visited an incredible reentry program this week in Columbia, South Carolina, called mm -hmm. Turn Ninety. They're also in uh, Charleston, I'm looking at other areas to expand to, but they're um, helping men that come out of prison reenter society via a lot of learning and also on the job experience. It's, it's a fascinating organization. Hope to have them on sometime. But in general, one thing I, I talked about with Amy over there was that our government needs some kind of like reentry office. Like there's no, when yeah. people leave jail, they just sort of leave them. And it's so, it's harder than anyone that hasn't done it, including myself can imagine to reintegrate in society, into society after being incarcerated. Well, and the reality is, and that's well said, Jeff, and the reality is, and you know this, that some people, I think, don't realize that the majority of people that are incarcerated, jail or prison, are going to get out at some point. I think there's a view out there with a lot of people, well, they're in prison, they're never going to get out. No. A very small percentage are in there for life or on death row or whatever. The majority of people are going to get out at some point. might take a few years, but they're going to get out. Yeah. So what are we doing to prepare them? You know, we yeah, lead I the mean, world in the most incarcerated people. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see more of a focus of 
more of a focus on reintegration, more of a focus mm -hmm. on incentivizing the system to prepare people for success in society when they get out. And there's so much stigma behind that and so many unnecessary laws around, or not mm -hmm. even laws, just policies on not taking felons in certain organizations and things like yeah. that. And I think hopefully we can continue to work to lower the barriers um, for people to reintegrate. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were talking about marijuana earlier. You remember, maybe you remember or your listeners do, and I'm not old enough because I wasn't during, alive during the time, but, you know, in the 20s and 30s, they had, you know, this war on marijuana, uh, reefer madness and things yeah. like that, these shows where that's still, you know, ingrained in, in, a, in a lot of the psyche of, of Americans, whereas, I mean, from a long time ago where this all-out assault on marijuana, and again, I'm not some, I'm not out there drumming, doing the drums for marijuana. I just don't care about it. People want to smoke it. I think there's more, uh, you know, more things to worry about than just marijuana. But I think that's still ingrained in our society. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're, oh my God, marijuana. Yeah. Oh. We're certainly trying to fight that stigma. And the, yeah. the polling shows that most people are pretty comfortable with it now, but I do think there's still plenty of work to be done. And there's definitely still some of that reefer madness culture, especially in the older generation. Exactly. Exactly. So, but we're, we're moving in the right direction, at least. Yeah, like I said, there wasn't any big, huge spike in crime in Colorado, at least from my perspective in law enforcement. People would always ask me, oh, my God, it's Colorado. I mean, crime must be through the roof. Everybody's driving high. We still have more problems with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you won't get an argument from, from me on that. I mean, alcohol is certainly more <laughs> potentially detrimental than cannabis and um but yeah, I mean, it, it, we're moving in the right direction at yeah. least. Yeah. Uh, so in your in your time in law enforcement and with FHE, you've certainly touched a lot of lives in really important ways. Is there any story or stories in particular that really stand out on a time when you realized how you your work could affect change? Are you talking about my time in law enforcement or are you talking about... Over any of it, whether you were in law enforcement, whether you were teaching, whether you were uh, working at FHE, just, is there a time, you know, where either someone came up to you, you saw something happen as a result of your work that just was like, wow, like I can really make a change for someone or something. Yeah. I mean, I've had many experiences like that, brother, where people come up to me and say, I mean, you, you know, you, you know, you, you even said it, you know, I mean, being able to come forward and talk about, you know, my struggles, you know, if that can help, and I've had many people come up to me and say, you know, look, I appreciate you, you know, sharing your story because that gives me hope. That gives me, you know, maybe a, a reason to step forward. Then I've, it makes me happy. It makes me very uh, grateful. I know it sounds crazy, grateful to go through the experience I did, but now I'm in a position where I can, I can help somebody else. So, I mean, that happens all the time and I'm not trying to sound you know, egotistical, but a lot yeah. of people reach out to me through my show and they say, man, thank you for, for talking about, you know, the problems and issues. And I'm open, I'm an open book, Jeff. I mean, now, if you would have, again, asked me a couple of years ago to talk about my issues, I would have told you to go pound sand. But right. if my story can be the roadmap or, or, you know, for somebody else, then I'm happy, Yeah. you know, and I've, I've done my job, you know, uh, you know, if I could just help one person, yeah. you know, um, you know, get the help they need or, you know, people call me all the time. Hey, I need to talk to you about something. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor, but I've been through some bad stuff. 
and I can speak to my experience and what I did in order to hope, hopefully avert somebody from doing what I did or, or going down that path, you know, or, you know, if it's, uh, you know, it's, if it's uh, predictable, it's preventable. There's a saying in law enforcement, you know, if it's predictable, it's preventable. Yeah. So, you know, I just want people that are suffering out there, law enforcement or not to reach out, you know, to trusted people. And I say trusted people because some people you can't trust, you know, with your, with your information. I mean, I'm sure you don't open up to everybody, Jeff. I don't. So it's an, it's a matter of reaching out to those trusted family and friends and telling them, look, I need help, or this is what I'm struggling with. Because like I said before, brother, we're all suffering from something. We're all struggling with something, financial, personal, professional, whatever. We all go through life and we carry baggage. So what I, what gratifies, what makes me get up in the morning, like I said in the beginning is getting up and, and connecting with people that I can do whatever I can to help them. So that's that's what brings a smile to my face. Awesome, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, I, we may have touched on it briefly earlier, but you know, you worked in, you started in the the army, and then went into law enforcement. What originally drove you to want to help people? Like, was there something about your childhood that pushed you in that direction? What got you there? You know, I think it was just innate, brother. I mean, like I said, I come from a law enforcement military family, so. And that's just the way I was raised, you know, I was raised by, uh, and it's, you know, taking care of yourself, obviously first, but, you know, just in that service kind of mindset that I grew up with, my dad was in the military for many, many years. My mom was a nurse for many years. She worked as a psychiatric nurse. Uh, so it was that environment of giving back. So I think that, you know, rubbed off on me, uh, with my time in the military and time in law enforcement. And like I said, it just got in my blood and I just ran with it you know, and had a, had a great career with it. I'm sure you've had a lot of great people come through your life during your career. Um, is there anyone in particular that really stood out as a mentor? Oh yeah. I mean, too many to name. Uh, I, you know, people in the military, you know, people in law enforcement, and I'm just talking about people in leadership positions because I believe you don't have to have a special, you know, you don't have the title, you don't have to have rank to be a leader. But so many people within my life, you know, have been mentors and coaches, you know, along the way. And I still have mentors and coaches. You know, the, one of the things that I believe in, Jeffrey, is surrounding yourself with the right people. Because those people are going to define really who you are. You know, Jim Rohn, famous philanthropist, you know, thought leader. I mean, he's, he said a long time ago, you're the average of the five people that you associate with. And that is so true. So for the listener out there, I mean, who are you associating with? Are you associating with people who are pushing you up, you know, to higher heights, or are you associating with people who are kind of bringing you down? Right. You're the people in your life are probably going to change at different phases, you know, in your life. What the person that you needed a couple of years ago, maybe you don't need them in your life anymore. And I'm not trying to say, go ahead and discard people. I'm not saying that, but you are who you associate with. You know, I'm, I'm a parent. My, my kids are adults now and they're, they're older. But I remember when they were kids, you know, we, I would say, oh, don't hang out with those kids. Oh, why? Because, you know, they're, they get in trouble all the time. Why? Is because we are who we associate with. Yeah. So if you're out there, I always encourage people when I give speeches and things like that, you know, to, okay, do a people inventory. I know it sounds weird, but who are your, who, who is influencing you? within your circle now, 
If it's good influences, well, then keep with it. If it's bad influences, you have the power to determine who's going to be within your circle. Now, it, it's a little tricky when it comes to family because we, we, all, you know, we, all, we all have the family members that, oh, God, here we go again. But it doesn't mean that you don't love them and you just you don't have to spend much time with them. Now, friends come and go. Yeah. But, you know, do a people inventory. You know, and okay, who's influencing me? Who who's building me up? And you reciprocate, and you do that for them. But who, who is there for me? Who's not there for me? And you'd be surprised at what you're going to find out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think it's very important who you associate with. Absolutely, I think that's an important exercise for everybody to think mm -hmm. about. So one one thing we do on my podcast is uh, guests can ask me a question if they'd like. So feel free. I'm going to ask you a question, buddy. All right. What advice would you give somebody out there who's listening to this amazing show of yours that is thinking about starting a podcast? What advice would you give them? All right. Um, See, I stumped you. You thought it was going to be something. No, like no. Who's your favorite sports team or something? No, I did, I did not expect that. It's just the but... Broncos, of course, right? Uh, I'm a hockey guy, so I'd go. Oh, with, so it's the, the Avs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always been a big Pittsburgh Penguins fan as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so let's see. Starting a podcast, I mean, I would say create a plan and just do it. I mean, that was one of my favorite things about starting a podcast was that you know I would do some work in the film industry, and there's all these barriers in Hollywood that you have to deal yeah, with, and egos and politics. Like this, we can just have the conversation and we can put it out there. Um, and that's, that's what I love about it. So I'd say if, if you're thinking about it, um, decide on sort of a direction that you want to go. I think it's important to have some sort of point of view, but otherwise just start doing it and it'll improve every single episode as I'm sure, you know, um, <laughs> right. You learn a lot every time that you do it. And so it's one of those in life in general, I generally am the type to just jump into things. I've done it in a variety of businesses so it, it was kind of my MO, but I would say sort of take that from me, at least in this podcast area and just jump in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't wait for the perfect time because there's no perfect time. Right. The traffic lights of life are never going to be all green at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So if you're it's... not starting a podcast, somebody else is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great, yep. great advice, brother. I appreciate it. Um and then in addition to that one, there's a question that I ask all the guests. Mm -hmm. um, if you could snap your fingers and fix one thing in the world, what would it be? And how do you think that change would reverberate? Hmm. If I could snap my fingers and change one thing in the world. Yep. Any one hmm. thing. And you can interpret that how you will. I would, you know, I know it sounds corny, but I really do believe in this. If, if I could snap my fingers i'd get rid of hate yeah you know absolutely and I, hate and, and love more and i know that some people are going to uh, no it's true you know love is the most powerful force out there yeah so if we can get rid of hate snap my fingers and have more love out there and caring for each other i think it would reverberate and we'd have a better world i i do agree with that it's something i think about a lot and i'll mm -hmm. say you know i don't know that we want to dig into this conversation or know where your mindset is around it. But um, I, I think that psychedelics being a bigger part of people's lives is part of that in terms of love and, and getting rid of hate. And, um, 
we talked about drug policy before and you sort of asked about where I am. And, you know, I think a lot, like you were saying, fentanyl and things that kill people are, are the problem. The pharmaceuticals are the real problem. And there's a lot of natural remedies that I think people need to be more open to. And Absolutely. a lot of my feeling around that is that they breed love. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Jeff, because there there are a lot of studies out there going on, as you probably know. You take somebody with uh, that is suffering from, like, PTSD. Well, now they're using, like, ketamine, you know, I mean, you know, which is a horse tranquilizer, essentially. I mean, I remember, you know, Special K or whatever you want to call it on the street. But now it has medical applications. And they're using things like other, say, mushrooms and things like that yep. to, to treat people for yeah. – for, uh, for PTSD, which is amazing. Yeah. And I'm all for that. You know, I'm all for that. I mean, I, I just, you know, like I said, with fentanyl and carfentanil and all this other crap out there, that's the stuff that scares me, you know, about legal. Yeah. And I, I don't think you're talking about that stuff. No. Um, you know, you're talking about the other natural stuff, which I'd be down for. As long as it's controlled and things like that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's the way to do it. And I, there are certain things that may have natural origins, but aren't so natural like MDMA, but yeah. that's an example of another one that there's really incredible PTSD trials for veterans that have been yeah. going on. Um, you know, phase three fast track with the FDA via the MAPS mm -hmm. organization, maps.org for everyone listening. Do it, you know, Rick Doblin, the founder there has been doing incredible work and I've met veterans that have been in their trials and it's changed their lives. And the percentage of people that don't have PTSD symptoms years later is like, nothing else, you know, in terms of pharmaceuticals. So it's, it's really been interesting. You know, I think, I mean, this is just my naive uh, thought on this. If you think it's naive or the listeners is, I think everything that we need to, to take care of ourselves is in nature somewhere. And yeah. we found it, maybe we haven't found it, but I think it's in nature and I'm all for, you know, and I'm, this is not a knock on the pharmaceutical industry, but you know, I, I get tired of people just, okay, the kid's acting up. They must be, you know, have, you know, right. ADHD, you know, uh, attention deficit, ADHD. We've got to put them on some medication. Well, that makes the pharmaceutical companies very happy because now right. they have a client for life. Right. But why don't we explore, like you said, some of these other options that are more natural and that maybe are going to do more. They're going to, they're going to help more than you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You I know? mean, this sort of theme of misaligned incentives has come up a lot for me on the show and in life lately. And the pharmaceutical industry is part of that. I mean, you know, their built-in monetary incentives are for people to buy more pills. So yeah. therefore, they'd rather people be on things monthly than something natural that can be healing. And so I think that I'm not saying that I'm even trying to villainize them because that's what their model is built for. It's that we need to create new models. Well, I agree. And I do think, you know, medicine has its place. I mean, of course, but like when I, when I go to the doctor and a lot, I'm, I'm old, I'm getting older, Jeff. So maybe that's part of it. But I remember, you know, I had, I had something going on medically a couple of years ago and I went to my primary and he said, well, you got to be on this medicine for the rest of your life. I'm like, well, hold on here. I, how do you know right. I, I have to be on it for the rest of my life? He's like, well, you just, you know, your age. And I was like, okay, but isn't it possible in the future? I didn't go to medical school, but isn't it possible that I might, I could phase off this in the future? Well, I don't, I don't think so. 
So I'm thinking, well, how do you, because medicine is not an exact science. Right. You know, I mean, so how do you know that? And, and again, like you said, I'm not trying to villainize the pharmaceutical industry. I'm not saying that because I think medicine has its place. Yeah. You know, at some point, I think we're all going to need some sort of medicine, maybe. Absolutely. But, you know, what really kind of bothers me, and I saw this a lot in law enforcement, is especially with young kids. I remember, you know, I grew up, I'm older than you probably, but, you know, growing up and, you know, kids would act up in class and maybe they did have something going on upstairs. I have no idea. But now it seems like every kid that gets out of line, oh, well, they need to be on medication. You know, they got a attention deficit or, and maybe they do. I, I have no idea, but it seems like we're in a society now that is more, you know, quick to write a script. Yeah. Than to say, oh, the kid's just being a dumbass. He's just goofing off. All right. Right. <laughs> is that, Agreed. Does yeah. that mean that? Does that mean that he he needs to be on some sort of Ritalin for the rest of his life? Right. I don't know. That's yeah. That's my rant, Jeff. No, I'll take it. I'll take it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that we're <laughs> definitely quick to jump to conclusions in some areas, and yeah. Um, you know, I. I do want to know how our listeners can support you and your impact. And I know that one yeah. way is by listening to your podcast. So maybe if yeah. you want to just tell us what we'll get when we listen to your podcast. Well, I have all, and thank you for mentioning it, Jeff. I appreciate it. My, my podcast again, is called CJ evolution. Uh, you can find everything at CJ evolution.com, my social media, uh, everything. There's a link to shatterproof. Like we talked about in FHE on my website. So if you want more information, you can either DM me, reach out to me through my contact form on my site, uh, or, you know, just reach out to me, call me, my number, you can find it all over social media. Um, but all my shows are there, you know, you can find all my podcast, uh, on that site. You can find my speaking engagements, you know, my, my coaching that I have. Uh, and again, Everything you need to know about me is on the website, cgevolution.com. Okay, great. And it, it looks like just looking through the site that you, you've interviewed quite a variety of people. Is there like a general, I mean, obviously criminal justice, but is there a general direction or theme or anything that, that people can expect if they just like randomly pick an episode? Great question. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm pretty picky of who I, I want to be on the show, but I've had people on the show uh, Jeff, that are maybe financial experts and people think, well, what does that have to do with criminal justice? Because everybody's interested in money. They want to take care of their finances and stuff like that. So that weaves into it. I've had nutritional people. I've had actors on the show. I've had veterans on the show, leadership experts, uh, all different types of people that we can weave back into the criminal justice field. Uh, because again, I, I, I'm approached by people sometimes and they want to come on the show and I'm like, I, you know, I'm not just trying to sound mean about, I don't know how that would fit into my right. listenership. So I like, I like having people on the show that maybe have nothing to do with criminal justice, but we can weave it back into the, the yeah. show and the criminal justice field because it's applicable. I've had people on the show that have been in prison yeah. for, for years that have, have come on the show to get their perspective on the criminal justice yeah. field. So I like having different views, not just a, myopic view of law enforcement. Um, but I don't just talk on my show about lack of a better word, war stories and police stories. Those have their place and they're important, but I like to, to center around like, uh, wellness now and nutrition and things like that. When I first started this show a long time ago, Jeff, I, again, I just didn't want to sit around and tell the listeners how many people I arrested or what I was dealing with because first responders are dealing with crap 
all the time. And that's what they signed up for. And that's what they're paid for. I wanted to have more of a positive spin on it and talk about motivation and inspiration. A lot of those is brought out through the guests. So I do talk about issues like use of force, drug stuff, you know, critical incidents and, and things like that. But now I've kind of pivoted a little bit the last couple of years and I want to uplift, you know, the listeners. I don't want them because they're seeing that all the time. I want to uplift and motivate. So if the listener out there wants to click on any of the shows, I do a microcast Monday on Monday that I started a couple of years back. And that's just motivation and inspiration. to get you started on your week. And then again, I have, you know, a, just amazing guests. You're going to come on the show. I'm excited about that. Yeah, looking forward um, to it. I, I just have a, just an amazing guest come on the show, and I, and I like to uplift now, not yeah, talk about depressing stuff, not living in a bubble. I know that there's a lot of right. depressing stuff out there, and all I have to do is just turn on the news. But yeah, I was gonna say that stuff gets enough highlight, right? Like I, yeah. I like that. I think both of us are trying to highlight some of the positive things going exactly. on, exactly, and because someone's got to do it, right? <laughs> Well, you know, and, and as a career in law enforcement, you know, Jeff, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, I had a pretty myopic view of the world when I was a young cop and that's just how I was conditioned. But as I got older, I mean, I slowly started to realize and I expanded my network outside of law enforcement. I started to realize, look, most people are good people. I mean, they, they just are. And maybe people are out there going, oh, he's full of crap. He doesn't know it. No, I think most people are good people. It's just. The problem we have in law enforcement is that we're just dealing with that 10% or that whatever, 8% that we're con- – so we get a skewed view on the world where everybody's a criminal. Right. And, you know, everybody's, you know, robbing, killing, stealing, whatever. And that's not the case. Right. And the other piece of advice I give law enforcement out there, because I talk to a lot of cops, is get friends outside of law enforcement. Mm. You know, just, and again, that's not a knock on law enforcement. I love law enforcement. But you need to see the other view. Yeah. You, know, you need to, to, to get friends outside of law enforcement to kind of balance you out. Because when I started doing that years ago, I started to realize that you know, most people are just good people. Maybe they mess up, make mistakes. And there are bad people out there. I'm not trying to discount that. But most people are good. So you just need to, to venture out. You know, if you're in law yeah. enforcement and get, get other friends outside law enforcement. I mean, I think that's probably applicable to, I mean, definitely applicable to first responders, but applicable to all sorts of uh, exactly. jobs in terms of no people Absolutely. that have totally different lives going on. Get another perspective. Because that's where the, that's where the you know, the, the learning takes place, right? I mean, you know, I think, you know, you've learned about what other people, you know, what they do and their experiences and things like that. That's what keeps us growing and at least me. Was learning um, about other people. Like I said, I've had people incarcerated yeah. on the show. And I was thinking, oh, my God, they'd never come on the Likewise. show. Likewise. Like, yeah. And I, they were like, I, I never, they were like, I don't hate cops. Yeah, I dealt with some, you know, cops that were not good cops. But, you know, it is what it is. So, I mean, it's good to see different perspectives on things. Yeah. Agreed. Well, it, it's been awesome getting your perspective today for the audience. And Thank you, sir. I um, really appreciate having you here. Excited to join you on your show and yeah. um, look forward to continuing our conversation. Thank you, brother. Keep up the good work. I love your show. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Are the Answer. To find out more, go to peoplearetheanswer.com.